Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Digital Cathedral here, 2022. Hard to believe that we are tracking into the ninth month of 2022. Seems like just yesterday we were in the Christmas season and turning over the New Year's. How time flies. If you've been following me this year, at the start of the year, I said there were four or five different areas, topics I wanted to really hone in on in 2022. And we're doing that. Now, as we're beginning to look at 2023, we're probably going to do some shifting in some areas, but there are some truths that I wanted to impress deeply into the into the spirit of those that come to the Digital Cathedral every Sunday morning, and then we follow up with that Wednesday night at the Secret Place on the Don Keithley Ministry page. One of the areas that I wanted to really uh, zero in on was the restoration of all things. This is a powerful. This is a powerful truth that has been neglected. And I don't want you to think if when I read those verses from Acts chapter three, I don't want you to turn me out. All right. Don't turn me off. Don't don't click off because each time I do it, I take it to a little bit different dimension and I take it to a little bit different depth. My purpose in in teaching the restoration of all things, as well as manifesting uh, sons this year and the book of John, there are four or five things that we that I'm really uh, emphasizing, but what I want to be able to do, especially with this restoration of all things and the manifestation of the sons of God, I want those to be two topics that when you visit with people, the myriads of people that are coming out of religion, that are coming out of uh, dead works, I want you to be able to converse with them because they're carrying a load, brother. Most of them are under under bondage. They're under uh, condemnation and guilt. Uh, they're They're all hung up on waiting for the rapture which when you get to the restoration of all things, and let, let me read the scripture because this is, this is a, a passage that is not emphasized. I don't know of any evangelical church, to be honest with you, any evangelical church or Pentecostal church where these verses are even talked about. It says in, in Acts chapter 3, verse 20, and that he may send Jesus who was preached before to you, whom heaven... And I don't, you know, I hope we're established that heaven is not some distant, faraway place on a on a planet way out in the Milky, Milky Way somewhere. Heaven is a dimension of consciousness. The kingdom is a dimension of consciousness. Being a human is a lower level of consciousness. But he says that Jesus is held on that level of consciousness until the restoration of all things. What I get out of that is that there's a progressive revelation that's taking place First of all, of who Jesus is. We're seeing him in one dimension, one light today. I think, I think the revelation of Jesus is going to get stronger, what he's completed for us. I think the power of the new creation, and I think that might be one area I want to, I want to deep dive next year, is what is this new creation? What are the limits to the new creation? Um, I don't think we've, we have even scratched the surface on what we are as a new creation. I'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But he says that he's going to hold Jesus in a in a dimension of consciousness until the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So he's talking about the restoration of everything. And again, this is a passage that you don't hear in an evangelical church or a charismatic church, Pentecostal church, Word of Faith Church. It's just not there. I probably spent 50 years as a follower of Jesus, maybe more than that, and I never heard a teaching, never heard one teaching on the restoration of all things. 
in the years that I spent getting an education and the seminars and the conferences that I've gone to uh, for leadership and then conferences like the Southwest Believers Convention with Kenneth Copeland back in the 80s, I never heard one message on the restoration of all things. Now, what I did hear and what you've heard is a gazillion messages on the rapture. You've heard another gazillion messages on Jesus returning on a white horse with a big sword in his hand, tattoo on his hip, and he slays all of the enemies uh, of, the, of the gospel or those that have not prayed the magic prayer. But nothing, crickets, zero, nada, zilch on the restoration of all things, which we just read from, from the book of Acts. And I don't care how you take it or what version you read from, it's it's very plain, very clear. Uh, you need the help of that evangelical pastor to help you to misunderstand it. So we're talking about the restoration of all things. Let me do some comparisons for you. The restoration of all things, the definition of that in the dictionary is simply the return of everything to its former owner or to its former place, to its former condition, to its former position. And I want you to look at this now through spirit eyes because I've got several questions this morning. First of all, I want to ask you, who's doing the returning? What, who, is, who or what is the former owner? Or what is the owner that has never relinquished ownership? What is the former condition? What condition are we being restored back to? And how far back does that restoration actually go? Because of a lack of vision, lack of understanding, I have heard teachings on the church going back to the book of Acts. Have you heard some of that? That there's there will be a day that we come back to the book of Acts and usually it's on Acts chapter two where they where they sold everything and distributed to every man that has need and there was, you know, there wasn't the division, the strife. I've heard I've heard about that a little bit, but that's not the restoration of all things. I've even heard people take it back to Adam and Eve in the garden. That's not the restoration of everything that was in the intent and the heart of the Father. I want to suggest to you this morning that just, let me just suggest, you, you do the thinking, you, you do the arithmetic. I want to suggest we take off the limitations and carry it all the way back. The restoration of all things, he said, of since the world began, of which the prophet spoke since the world began. Let me challenge you this morning. We're going to take this back, all the way back to the Father's original tent, from the get-go. Now, did you notice in verse 21, it says, since the world began. Let me, let me emphasize that. Since the world began. That's before the time of, of the church in the book of Acts. That's before uh, the cross. That's before Adam uh, in the garden. Moses was the prophet that has been credited with writing the book of Genesis. He's been credited with writing that uh, so it, he, he's the one that supposedly had the insight. And, and you know the verses, they're, they're familiar. This was the original intent. This was the design. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. There's a plural, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They were in counsel together. And let them have dominion. I made a big deal out of that a couple of weeks ago. doesn't say let them take dominion. They were putting the dominion into the possession of the man. And we're talking about going back to where we have dominion. We're not doing spiritual warfare. We're not fighting. We're not trying to take it back again with the devil stole from us. No, no, we have it. We have it. 
The reason we haven't exercised it is because we haven't realized what we possess, what we've always possessed. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So right there in that one verse, he gave to man the rulership of the earth. Let me, let me say it this way. He made man to be a god over the earth. Now, <clears throat> he, we're going to read in Scripture where he said that we're gods. I am not a god of the cosmos. That's, that's above my pay grade. But I am a god of this world. I'm a god of this dimension. I'm a god of this earth that he gave me dominion over. I'm not trying to get it. I'm not trying to take it. He has given it to me. So God created man, verse 27, in his image and likeness, and God created them male, female. He may create a male and female, only two. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. There would have to be a subduing that takes place. We've not been subduing anything. That's why the world is in the mess that it's in. Man has not been fulfilling his obligation of subduing it and taking dominion over the fish, the birds, over every, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man has not been exercising what he what he has been been given, what he possesses. There's been a great misunderstanding of that. And because we're trying to take it, we never feel like we actually possess it. So that's that's what was spoken. That, that was the original intent. That was the design. Now, restoration, I said, from a natural dictionary definition is a return of everything to its former owner, its place, its condition, and position. Now, I want to suggest to you that the biblical definition of restoration goes deeper, it goes farther, and it entails a lot more than what Webster's Dictionary would define, how Webster's would define the word restoration. For example, for example, what was lost in Adam, whatever you think, whoever you think Adam was, or whatever you think he lost, whatever he lost, whatever first Adam lost, last Adam more than restored. Whatever first Adam lost, last Adam more than restored to mankind. The new creation is not after the order of first Adam. We are a new creation. We are in Christ. We, we, are, of the, we are of the Jesus gene. <laughs> we walked out of the grave with him. We were born again through the resurrection, Peter said. And the scripture, ver I mean, the scripture verifies that. So whatever... Adam lost, first Adam, last Adam, when he said, it is finished, what was restored back to us was greater than what, than what Adam walked in. Adam did not demonstrate the dominion that the Father gave to him. The church in Acts did not, did not demonstrate to the degree that the intent in the heart of the Father was in demonstration. So biblical restoration is receiving back, boy, this is so good, this lights my fire. It's receiving back from the Father's original intent and design more than was lost. Let me give you a natural illustration. Let's, let's say I need to move my a refrigerator. And so I borrow your pickup truck. I move my refrigerator. Now restoration would be I take the pickup truck back to you. The restoration from a, from a scriptural perception would be I don't just take it back to you. I wash it. I fill it with gas, and I return it to you, which puts it in a better condition than when I received it. 
that's the principle of restoration. That, that's where we're working. That's what Acts chapter 3, verse 20, 21, and 22, that's what that passage of Scripture is all about. Biblical restoration goes beyond anything that man has exercised up to this point on the planet. It's a perfected state. It's, it's, when, it's, when, we, it's when heaven and earth combine. It's when they merge together. Right? So that there's one dimension. And what is how it is in heaven is how it is here. And the restoration of all things unveils within us in this in this consciousness, in this understanding of heaven, which is not out in the Milky Way somewhere, not off on a planet 68 zillion light years away. It's within you. Jesus came to teach us the kingdom is within us. Heaven is with, within you. The end of all of this, the end of the restoration, of all things which the prophet spoke since the world began, the end will be exactly as the Father declared it in the beginning. In, Act, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8, I defy you to find anything in Scripture that would say differently. It's just not there. Restoration can also, from a scriptural standpoint, also be the return of a king to his throne. Now, we need to explore some of that. We need to explore what was the kingdom's original intent for the king, what was, the, what was the kingdom designed to encompass with the king and all of the inhabitants of the kingdom? What is the beginning? What is the end intention of the kingdom? We're going to read it from 1 Corinthians 15 in just a few minutes. But I'm trying to nail down here something. I want you to see that the original mandate in Genesis 1 and its connection to us today also connects us not only, not only to people, it connects us to all of nature, all of creation. Did you see that as, as far as the earth is concerned? Did you see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8? He said, let man have dominion over the fish, over the, the birds, over everything that creeps on the earth, over, over all of creation, everything that God created. He handed to man and said, I want you to, I want you to take authority. I want you to subdue it. I want you to take dominion over it. We let it go. We let it go through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by making bad choices rather than the tree of life, which is seeing what the Father said and obeying it and responding to it. Man decided he knows better, and we've lived under that, under that. I want to say curse. I don't want to get you off into a wrong understanding there, but I think you understand what I'm saying. We've lived under the, under the repercussions, there you go, of all of the choices that man has made from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil until the world that we live in today, man created it. I can't emphasize that enough. Man created it the way it is. Man can recreate it. Man can create it as the Father intended from the very beginning. We have that creative ability. More on that in just a minute. I want you to see everything that restoration includes. Restoration is a Bible truth, and it includes, and I wrote a bunch of R's because I wanted you to get the impact. Bible restoration, the truth of restoration includes reconciling, renewing, refreshing, repairing, rebuilding, returning, restitution, resurrection, relationship, revelation, and even resting. That encompasses a biblical uh, restoration. So if we're going to express our identity as divinity, then our sonship is definitely connected to Jesus calling us gods. 
not of the cosmos. I'm, that's above my pay grade. That's beyond my measure of rule. I don't stretch myself to that measure. My daddy handles that, right? My daddy handles that. My older brother created, set it in place. But he gave me a measure of rule, of dominion, I, to, to, to rule over, I have dominion. I don't know how, if that, if saying a God offends you, I think it's offended us because we thought, well, you're putting yourself on the level of the God of the cosmos. No, I'm not at all. I am saying we are the God of the planet, of the earth, of the systems, of the systems. God created the earth. Catch this. God created the earth. Man created the, the world. God created earth. Man created the world. Man created the dimension that we're now living in, the, the, the circumstances, everything that we're encountering and facing. So when God, when Jesus said, doesn't your scripture even say in, what is it, Psalm chapter 8, he speaks of God's original intent, God's original design to make man a God over the earth by giving him dominion and authority over it. Let me, let me just read a few verses from Scripture for you. Let, let, me, let me start out with Psalm chapter 8. We're going to read just a couple of little ditties here because uh, it, when I, next, next year when I get into the new creation, it's going, it's going to blow you away. I'm studying some things that are going to blow you away that we have not... Uh, dive the depths of yet but i've got i want to get our mission straight our mission is the restoration of all things the restoration of all things flows through the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of god so those two I, i'm putting foundation down because man next year we're going to rock and roll on some things that are are, are, are going to stretch you that you've never heard taught on before at least church-wise you've you've never even heard the the insinuation of some of the things we're going to get into next year so let me just keep laying the foundation down. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 says, What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visited him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. Right? And you know that word angels is, is a total mistranslation. It should be Elohim. Made a little lower than Elohim. Now watch. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. <coughs> Excuse me. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have. Here, here it is. Same thing that we read back in Genesis 1. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. Now, are all things under the feet today? No, but they're going to get there. All right, let, let, let's come over to Psalm chapter 82. Let's just continue to read a little bit here in the Psalms, and I'm going to give you a couple of other verses too. We're going to kick over to the New Testament and get a New Testament perception. Psalm 82, 2 and verse 6. I said, you are gods. Now what? This, this, this is something you never... <laughs> and all of you are children of God. Man, that just elevates your thinking. That just, ele that just elevates your consciousness. I said, you are gods, and you are all the children of the Most High. So when you, when you go into church and they're... they're doing all this zigging and zagging about Adamic nature and children of the devil. That is a total fabrication, and it's, it's a lie from the pit. We are all children of the Most High. All right, let's shuffle over to the New Testament and look at a couple of things. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. It, it, just stay with me. We're, we're going to move into something here in a minute. John chapter 10, verse 33. John chapter 10, verse 33. The Jews answered him and said, For a good work we don't 
we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man have made yourself God. Jesus said, is it not written in your law? We just read it. I said, you're gods. If he called them gods, the word is, the word is, is theos. The word's theos. It means God. It, 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 it means owner. It means creator. That's exactly what theos means uh, in verse 35. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world that you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Listen, Jesus has sanctified you and sent you into the world. It's not blasphemy to say that you are a son of God. And by saying you're a son of God, theos, you're connecting yourself to the Father. The same essence, same same. Same DNA, same being. All right. One, one more. Second Peter chapter one verse three says that to us have been given exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be a partaker of what the divine nature. You can't be a partaker of the divine nature if you're not deity. If that's not your identity. Our biggest obstacle, and here's what we're here's what we're butting our heads up against today. Our biggest obstacle is limiting restoration. We have not got it in our minds yet that it's unlimited how far we can go. We've limited restoration to our logic. We've looked around at our world and we said, man, this place is a mess. This, this, this is full of darkness. There's nothing that we're probably ever going to be able to do to make the world any different than it is. And that's not true. You're an instrument of rest restoration. But we can't move into that position until we begin to say, okay, it's true. Restoration is unlimited. We've limited, we've looked at our, we've, and th this is why the raptures become important. It gives us an easy way out. It, it absconds us from responsibility. It kryptonites what God said in Genesis chapter one, where we have the dominion. Where we've not had dominion is in our minds. We don't think it's possible. We, we don't think darkness can be overcome with light. The Father's kingdom, His will coming, and being done on earth as it is in heaven is his plan and his intent. And I'm telling you, as sure as this old man is sitting here, the Father's will will be done. It will be on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, heaven is coming to earth. There's a merging of the two dimensions. We're starting to be just a little bit aware of it today. We're starting to see that uh, the real world is not the world we see. So as, as people at the digital cathedral, we're starting to understand that what we see comes and it goes. It's like a vapor. It vanishes. But the things that are not seen are eternal. So we're fixing our gaze now on things that are eternal. I'm teaching you eternal truth. Restoration of all things is an eternal truth. When, when, when heaven invades earth, the shift takes place. So you have to ask yourself, what, how is it in heaven? Because Jesus said, pray it like that. As it is in heaven, so be it on the earth. Is there sickness in heaven? No. Is there death in heaven? No. We're going there next year. Is there, is there poverty in heaven? Is there war in heaven? Is there jealousy? Is there hate? Is there discrimination? See, all those things man can recreate. We don't have to discriminate. We don't have to hate. We don't have to have jealousy or poverty or war. We can create the environment. God And God empowered mankind to do that. But through bad decisions, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, We've got it jacked up, we've got it messed up, and we haven't lived in it. As heaven invades earth, as we start to take the, the parameters off of our thinking and say, you know what, God said restoration of all things back to, 
since the world began, I believe that's actually going to happen. And it's ushered in by sons, it's ushered in by daughters that have ascended, that are now, now seeing that they're co-laborers of God in this earthly dimension. We're co-creators with the Father in this earthly, in this earthly dimension. Are, are, are you still with me this morning? I so want this to get ingrained because where we're going next year, in just a few short months, just October, November, December, New Year's going to be here. We're going to kick off into things. When you start seeing the Father's intent, what, what we re read over here in, in Genesis and read in the book of Th Psalms, Thoms, in the book of Psalms, that's the Father's intent. That's his vision. That's his heart. That's what he declared. There's nothing that God ever declares from the beginning that does not end as he declared, right? So we have to begin to look at the Father's intent. We have to ask ourselves, what was mankind heading toward before he fell? Because Adam did not walk in dominion. Adam did not take and subdue. He did not multiply, did not replenish the earth. Adam, listen to me, Adam was innocent, but he was not mature. And in his innocence and lack of maturity, he did not exercise the dominion that belonged to him. He tried to get it somehow. He tried to become like. And that's what the church is still striving to do today. They're trying to become like what they already are and to receive what they already possess. So you have to ask yourself, what was, what was mankind heading toward before in his innocence but lack of maturity? He made a bad decision. What levels of ascension was added, headed toward? How high could he have gone? Could he have really, could he have really fulfilled the Father's plan? Then you have to ask yourself, what was the process that was intended for Adam's ascension? To bring Adam into maturity. Was, was the tree of life deal, the, whatever you want to think it was, symbolically, metaphorically, uh, literally, I don't care. Was that part of the process that the Father had to bring? Adam into maturity. Now I want to share something to you from my experience, and I think you can relate to this. In my experience in maturing as a son, in maturing as a son, I've, I've noticed that there is always a heavenly element, a spiritual element to it, to the maturing, and an earthly element. But with Adam, there was. There was the human element, the tree, that he had to decide if he's going to eat from or not. And there was the spiritual element of God speaking to him and saying, you can eat every tree except the one in the middle of the garden. I don't want you to eat that one. So there was a, a spiritual dimension to the, to the process of maturing Adam. There was also a natural one. There was a decision he had to make in the natural. Jesus went through this. Watch. Jesus, it says in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, that Jesus developed, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor, watch the two dimensions, with God and with man. The two were working together. So your, your, your maturity does not come as a son, as a daughter. Your maturity doesn't all just come from a spiritual input from the Father or from the Spirit of truth. Paul experienced it. Let, let's walk through, and I, I want I want you to get this, because some of you going through things, you think, man, I don't I don't understand why I'm facing this. That's the natural element, and He's provided you the spiritual element, right? Which is my grace is sufficient for you. That's what what Paul got over here. You know you know the little story in Second Corinthians chapter 
12 and verse 7. But let me just point out to you. Let me walk you through this. Now stay with me this morning because I'm unwinding. I'm helping you to manifest as a son. I'm taking you to a place that you understand what's going on in your life so that as the restoration of all things takes place, listen, you can cooperate with it. You won't fight it. You won't resist it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, Unless I was exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, spirit, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And I can get all kind of debate what it is. I have my opinion, your opinion, their opinions of what this thorn in the flesh was. For this thing, natural, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, here's what God says. Here's what God says when you're walking through something. You know what? You don't understand it fully. Here's what he says to you. He comes back in spirit. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. Spirit, my strength, spirit, is made, is made perfect in your natural weakness. So we got spirit and natural working together. It's still, it's still the same today. It's still manifesting the same day, same way. Paul, Paul got it. He said, okay, I get it. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, natural, that the power of God's Spirit may rest on me. That's the, that's the developmental process. Can you see that? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. When we can come to the place as sons and daughters that we can embrace our infirmities, our reproaches, our needs, our persecutions, our distresses, when we can do that, then we're going to find, those are natural things, we're going to find that when we are weak in the natural, Paul said, I am strong. And when you're strong in spirit, you can overcome. You understand that his grace is sufficient for you. How about Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3, and let me start out with verse 7. He said, but what things were gained to me, natural, those I counted lost for Christ, spirit. For indeed, I also count all things lost, natural, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, right? Spirit. He said, look, I, I'm sacrificing the natural, the comfort, all that, for the knowledge, for one I, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Right? So natural, spiritual. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, natural, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Spirit. All right. So he's the Father's using the combination of natural and spiritual for, for our maturity. Um, let me hit just a couple more because I I, 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 I I think this is important because of all of the stuff that we walk through. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the one that is is the, rings the bell. This is the one that really cranks it up for me. Verse 26. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26. I'm struggling with my sinus this morning in case you can't tell. All right. All this is natural. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in per perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in this. This guy had perils. This is all external. In weariness and toil, natural. Sleeplessness, hunger, thirst, fastings. Besides all those things, what comes on me daily, watch, the anxiety for all the churches. That was inside. That was a spiritual happening. All right? Now, he, he, he goes on to say, and let, let me read um, verse 28 or 29. For 
All right, who is who is weak and I am not weak? Natural. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn uh, with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmities. And how is he boasting? He's boasting in them by spirit. Right. One more, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 29, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says this, For whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, those that he called, he justified, those that he justified, those he also glorified. Verse 31, what shall we say to all these things? Natural, all these things. All right, verses 29 to 30 is spiritual. He's saying, I predestined you, called you, glorified you. So that's all spirit. That's all working within. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, what do we say to all these things that are going on? All these things pushing back. If God is for us, who will be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's the end product of it. That's the end. So growth, growth, for manifesting sons and daughters comes from this stretching that takes place from without, from natural things, but also from within. So I want you to expect, I want you to understand, I want you to embrace when you are pushed from external things or pushed from internal things, that it's the process. Trust the process. I have a t-shirt that says, trust the process. If I've learned anything, it's that in my development, there has always been a natural element and a spiritual element. Revelation within, adverse circumstances without. Isn't that what Jesus faced in, in Matthew chapter 4? I mean, the prototype son came through the same situation. Matthew chapter 4, and I'm just going to hit some verses real quick here. Because I want you to see this whole wilderness experience of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 had to do with things that were internal as well as external. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And when the tempter came to me, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. That's, that's coming, that's, that's, a, that, that's arising from within him. Unless you think the devil is from out. And if you do, then it's an exterior problem. Verse 6. And, he, and, and, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Right? Those are all exterior things. If I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep with the, the devil coming from an exterior place. right? I honestly believe this was an internal struggle that Jesus had on his identity. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Then in verse 8, we find the same thing. Get, devil takes him up to exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, their glory. And every time that this happened, Jesus answered him, it's written. Or he, he faced it with, with internal maturity. When the external push came, he answered it from within. And let me remind you, at, at, at this, in this temptation, he just came out of being baptized when the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately... Matthew says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Now here's what happens. Verse, verse 9. He said to him, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. This was all push. But Jesus had the revelation within that he was the beloved son in whom the Father was well pleased. And when, he, and when all of this happens, look, this, this is what it says. 
in verse 11, then the devil left him outside and the angels came and ministered to him. He had, he had internal comfort. Now, in I think it's Luke that says when the temptation was over, Jesus came out. I really like this. I should have read it from Luke because it says he came out in the power of the Spirit. He went through the process. We're coming through a process. It's okay. We have an end game. We have an end vision. We have an end desire. It's the intent and the purpose of the Father, which he declared from the beginning of time. And you as a manifesting son and daughter are the, are the instrument. You're the tool through which that process is exercised. But for him to, to uh, exercise it, he matures us. I believe the Father's growing us. And I want to just drop this because next year I'm going to talk more about this. I'm going to drop this this morning. I believe the Father is growing us beyond sonship to ascended fatherhood. I think there's a place beyond being manifested sons of God. I think we're always going to manifest as a son of God. But there is a place of maturity. It, the, the Greek word is called um, patier, patier. It's where you move into a place of fatherhood. Sons need fathers. Sons need fathers. This whole reformation, this whole restoration, the process has come to a point now where we need fathers. Paul said we don't have many fathers. We got a lot of guys that can get on the internet like Keithley and teach. We got a lot of guys that can instruct, but we don't have many fathers. A father is one that has walked through the process. A father is one that hasn't just talked the talk. A father is one that has walked the walk. He's, a father is one that has been rejected that has been left out in the wilderness by himself. He's been kicked out of the, the temple, out of the church, right? He's been rejected by his friends. Those that have come through the fire of purification, those are fathers. <clears throat> now there's a wave that's, that's beginning to break. I see it. I see it. I see it in some of you here at the Digital Cathedral. I see it by the posts and the comments that you make on the Don Keithley ministry page. One of the reasons for that ministry page is for maturity. And I'm seeing mothers raise up. I'm seeing fathers raise up. Fathers shine the light so that those that are coming out of being under governors and tutors that are beginning to understand their sonship, they see, they know the path that they can walk now. Fathers are ones that can come to the sons that are developing and say, I understand your, your feelings of rejection. I understand it hurt to get kicked out of the church. I understand when people call you heretic. I understand when people uh, are opposing you. I understand when your family has put you outside and not inviting you to Thanksgiving dinner this year because you're weird. A father is one that says, I understand that. First wave of fathers. Many of you were first wave of, of understanding manifestation of sons of God. Many first wave with grace, finished work of the cross, unconditional love, first wave on mercy that endures forever. And you have become entrenched in that. That has become part of who you actually are. It is now you. That, that word has become your flesh. You're no, you're no longer ego-driven. You're Christ-driven. You're not self-centered. You're Christ-centered. Are you with me? So the first wave of fathers are going to be those that had the first glimpse of grace and unconditional love, fatherhood of God, inclusion. You're trailblazers. You're trailblazers. And you're, you're starting now. You're following this light within. You're listening to the prompting. You're listening to the voice. You're, you're perfecting your ability to respond and not have to logic it out, not have to reason it out, but simply respond. 
you are shining light. The Hebrew word for light is ori, O-R-I. And it means in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, arise, shine, for your light has come. That's, that's, that's where you're at. You're arising. You're shining. You're ori. Your light has come. It, 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 ori carries the concept of being light. Not just shining light. It carries the idea that you are light. Wasn't it Jesus uh, that took it to another level when he was transfigured? And all they saw was this bright, shining light. Man, what, think what would happen if you were down at the town square and you just transfigured. Do you think it might have an impact on people? The restoration of sonship, then walking as fathers in the faith, is no doubt related to the restoration of not just shining a light, but becoming light. We're learning that speaking skill is not where it's at. Having, having a good A-plus in homiletics, for those of you that have been through uh, seminary, your, your ability to put together a good teaching, that's not, what, that's not where it's at. It's, it's, it's not what you say, it's what you carry. It's the light that you shine. It's the anointing that abides within you. And I don't want to get all flaky on the anointing thing, but it's the light that you're able to shine. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord will be, will be risen upon you, and you'll see it. Jesus said he was the light of the world. This is incredible. Then he turns around and looks at us and says, you are the light of the world. It's the same light. It's not... He doesn't have a 100-watt light bulb, and you've got a 20-watt light bulb. It is the same light. Let me, let me show it to you from John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm, I'm, I'm building you this morning as a son that's manifesting. I, I know I teach stuff probably you never heard in church, but weren't you tired of hearing the same sermon every week with a different title? Same three points, same, same explanation on stuff. Listen, the spirit of truth has got so much to reveal. I, I, I believe Jesus is still saying, I've got a lot of things to show you, but you're not able to bear it yet. I'll tell you what, we're getting closer to bearing more than we've ever been able to bear in the way of revelation before. All right, look at this light thing. Same light. John chapter 1 and verse 4 says, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. So light and life are put in the same context. And the life was the light of men. Then it says, let me read verse 5 with it. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Comprehend is probably not a good translation. I think a better word would be extinguish. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not extinguish it. The darkness, I don't care how dark our world gets. In, in, in that, in that uh, chapter of Isaiah, it says, gross darkness arises over the people, gross darkness on the planet, but your light will shine. When I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how dark it gets. That, that is setting the stage for your light to shine brighter than it ever has. Light is seen better in darkness, right? The, the, the way you really can see a small match is, is for it to be pitch black. No, no moon out, no nothing. You can see that match for a long way, and it's just a match. Imagine if you had an atomic explosion. See, you're the atomic explosion that is going. You are the light. And the light shines in darkness. Darkness couldn't comprehend it. All right, now verse 9. That was the true light 
which gives light or life to every man who comes into the world. John chapter 1 and verse 9 is solid theology. That was the true light which gives light. What is the true light? Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 9, it was the true light which gives light to every, every man, every man, every man. Try to explain that away, Mr. Evangelical, Charismatic, Pentecostal, tongue-talking, devil-thumping, Bible-quoting person. There is a Jesus light that is in every man. And you as manifesting sons coming into fatherhood, you're going to be flipping light switches. You're going to be flipping light switches. People are going to see what they've never seen before. And it's because of your development. So my job, Remember my vision? It's to bring us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what I'm after. I don't care who it offends, who it bothers, who it upsets. That's where I'm going. That's my target. The rest of the years I got on this planet, I will be doing that. I want to get there myself. I want to bring others with me. And as I bring others with me, you're coming out of sonship. You're, you're maturing out of the, the mature son. The Greek word is weos, H-U-I-O-S. And often Jesus was referred to as a weos. You know, when he was 12, I think he was, a, the, the word was technon, meant young, young, youthful guy. But weos is often uh, what Jesus was referred to, and it's what um, Romans refers to it as being, um, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons, that the word is weos. But there's a maturing that comes from weos, and it's patier, and it's the one that Jesus, or Paul was saying there's not many of. Because it takes the purification, takes the process, takes the development. The restoration process includes the restoration of sonship government. Our the government in in uh, and I'm not going to take time to read it in Isaiah. I should take time to read it. Isaiah chapter nine. If I don't take time to read it, then you're going to wonder what the heck. Isaiah chapter 9, because there's always little nuggets in here that we have that we have not uncovered. Isaiah chapter 9, you've probably heard the scripture, but let me point something out to you. Isaiah chapter 9, and let me just read for time's sake, verse 6 and verse 7. Verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto a son is given. That's Jesus, right? And the government will be upon his shoulders. So the head is not the government, the manifestation of government. The shoulders are. The shoulders are in the body of Christ. The weight of the government of the kingdom is upon the manifested sons and daughters of God. That's the role that we play. That's our position. And the government we called upon it would be on our shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of the Peace. All right? Now, of the increase of his government, where is the government? On his shoulders. Where are the shoulders? In the body of Christ. Who comprises the body of Christ that can handle the government? The manifesting sons and daughters of God. You're going to find the, the government of the kingdom is going to come to you. That's why I'm teaching. That's why I give my life to this. And of its peace, there will be no end. Being a peacemaker, bringing peace into a volatile, combative situation is our call. The peacemakers shall be called what? Sons of God. The word 
the word there, I'm going to have to check, but I'm sure it's the word weas. I'd have to check. I, don't quote me on it. Don't, if it happens to be techno, don't, don't say I, I, I'm teaching wrong. But I'm, I'm almost sure it's weas. The, the peacemakers will be called the mature sons of God because the show, they've come through the process. They've come, the natural, the spiritual, have worked in them. The process has worked. The fire of purification has worked to where now they can stand with the government on their shoulders. The, the, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be raised up. The light will be put on a hill for everybody to see. Ascension government, kingdom government, will function on the earth. What Isaiah had such good revelation, such insight about this. Let, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 2, and let me read just verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the top of the mountains. So the house of the Lord, you are the house. Not talking about a building, not talking about brick and mortar. He's talking about the temple. You will be established at the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. We have, listen, all nations are flowing into the digital cathedral. I don't have a brick and mortar building anymore. I don't want a brick and mortar building. But all nations, all, some of you are going to start other ministries and groups. You're going to start a home group. People have home churches here in Houston, and nations are flowing into it because people have moved here from all over the world, from Africa, from Europe, from South America, from Mexico. They have, and they're, and they're coming into those home churches, and the manifesting sons of God are leading those. So he says, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. He's teaching us his ways. Can you understand that? Now let me just make a clarification, because you're, most of you that watch this are in America or Australia. This may shock you, but God's government is not a democracy. You do not get a vote. Getting a vote, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in essence, is you get a vote. You're the determining factor. You decide what's good. You decide what's evil. You decide what's logical, what's best for you, and that's what you do. That's not the government of God. Next year, I'm going to get into government. I mean, one of the, one of the things we really delve into is the government of God, because that's kingdom, man. The, the government of God is not a kingdom. God's government is a theocracy. It's not a democracy. It is a theocracy. That means theo, God. What, whatever God says goes. He's the one that carries the defining word. God has never been swayed by your vote. He's never been swayed by Don Keithley's opinion on anything. He has declared the way it will be. And now he's waiting for man who's been on the earth, messed it all up, got it all out of kilter. He's waiting for us to come to a place where we understand it's our responsibility now to put it back together. And it's going to look like, I've read it to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 to 28. Let, let me just read this for you real quick. Here's how it's going to shake out. The final stage of completion comes when he brings to an end every other rulership, authority, and power. We have ascended to the top of the mountains. There is no other power, rulership, or authority. And he hands over the kingdom to Father God. That's the restoration right there of all things. When Jesus hands the kingdom over, the kingdom domain, the king's domain, the kingdom, he hands it over to the Father. 
Until then, he is destined to reign as king until all hostility has been subdued and placed under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be eliminated is death itself. Until we see death eliminated, the kingdom has not been established. <laughs> oh my, that's going to open up a can of worms next year. The Father has placed all things in subjection under the feet of Christ, yet when he says all things, it's understood that the Father does not include himself, for he's the one that placed all things in subjection to Christ. And Christ is, is to eliminate, is to uh, illuminate and represent the Father. However, when everything is subdued in submission to him, then the Son himself will be subject to the Father, who put all things under the Son's feet. This is so. Here's the... Here's when the dust settles at the end of the day, the last hurrah. This is so that Father God will be everything in everyone. Folks, I'm not making this up. I am not making this up. That is not rapture. That is not second coming. That is Father God being everything in everyone that has ever been created since the get-go up till the time that the Son submits the kingdom to the Father. That's not a rapture. It's a full restoration. It's a final working in the end exactly as the Father declared it and we read it as he declared it in the beginning. Jesus came as light to the world to destroy the works of the darkness, and he did it. Let's stop resurrecting. Let's stop giving darkness back to something that has been totally defeated. We're bringing, we're part of the process of bringing the entirety of creation into oneness. Don't go by how it looks. Don't go by how it seems. Go by what the Father has said our job is. Amen? All right, I ran a couple minutes over time this morning. I, I get excited about this stuff, so forgive me when I, when I go on a little bit. I, I like to take it deep and I like to be intense. So this year we're, we're honing down on this as well as several other things. Next year, we'll flip the page. But I gotta, get, I gotta get this firmly fixed before I can move to the next level. Amen? All right, see you Wednesday night at The Secret Place. Thank you for your support. I really mean that. Those of you that support me monthly, you're keeping the ship afloat. You're helping to make this thing happen. For those of you that, that contribute every now and then, thank you also so much. If you've never contributed anything, I still love you. You're still part of the Digital Cathedral. But... I like to think you got some skin in the game. So consider support on some level on a consistent basis. Amen. All right. Keep me in your prayers. I keep you in my prayers. We'll see you Wednesday night at the secret place. God bless. <laughs>